Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca/CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. True Crime Cells. As genres go, it is more dependable than vampires or superheroes. Crime stories have always compelled the public, and the subgenres, whodunits, serial killers, courtroom procedurals, the innocent man convicted for a crime he did not commit, they all just keep coming back. Making a murderer and serial and the jinx and the people versus O.J. Simpson, everything old is new again, and the most popular and, and sometimes lucrative beat that a reporter can cover is and has always been Crime. So just how is it that dozens of unsolved murders of women in Halifax have gone under the radar? I've had Tim Biscay on the show before. He is the investigative reporter who left his job as the editor of a print newspaper to launch the Halifax Examiner, an independent, subscriber-based local news site. Tim has spent the last year investigating these murders. He is right in the middle of publishing what he's found, a series of extensive reports titled Dead Wrong. And Tim will join me in a minute. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jerry Deacon, Eric, Simon Cheeseman, Neil Bruder, Philip Hume, Jonathan Fritz, Warren Frey, and Shannon Lambie. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is fantastic because they remove friction from the process of doing stuff. I mean, anything you do, you need a website for. Whether you're like trying to express yourself or have a business that's based online, or if you just need like a web presence for yourself, a portfolio, a permanent home on the web for your business, you need a website. This is an established fact. This is not news to you. What happens though is that doing anything else online, setting up a Facebook page or tweeting or like anything else has been made really simple, but building a website is still fairly complicated. Squarespace has made building a website as simple as doing any of the things that we do on the social web. You don't have to be a graphic designer. You don't have to know how to code. And you don't have to hire anyone to do those things. You just go to Squarespace. You don't have to use a credit card. You pick a template that are beautifully designed. You pick one that's well-suited for what you're up to, and you plug in your information. And you don't even need a credit card to play around with this. It's actually kind of fun to build a website with Squarespace. Once you build a website, it just works. You don't have to worry about security or stability. It's not going to go down. You have support through Squarespace. You don't have to mess around with domain registrars. They, they, they take care of all that stuff for you. You can run an e-commerce site through Squarespace. It's cheap when you're ready to go live with it. You give them your credit card. And when you're ready to do that, tell them that Canada Land sent you. Thank you, Squarespace, for making websites easy and for supporting this show. Tim, you are in the midst of releasing the results of a year-long investigation into the murders of, of dozens of women in Halifax. This is a complicated story. It's a courtroom procedural in parts. I wonder if it's possible for you to take us through it. In, a, in kind of a summary fashion. Yeah. The, the way I got into this, Jesse, is back in November of 2014, there was a man named Glenn Assoon, and the court had a hearing to release him from prison, even though he wasn't eligible for parole. So I went to, to the hearing to see what that was about. To back up a little bit, back in 1995, a woman named Brenda Way had been murdered 
in Dartmouth, which is a, was then a suburb of Halifax. It's now part of the big city of Halifax. Four years later, Glenn Assun was convicted of that murder. He spent 16 years in prison, always maintaining he did not commit the murder, was innocent. Finally, people started listening to him, and a Justice Department lawyer had a, had a look at the case and decided it was a probable miscarriage of justice. So uh, under some, some legal maneuvering, he was released, even though uh, he wasn't eligible for parole yet. I want to stop for a second just to recognize, like, that's what I think alerted you to the story in the first place, this very strange release. He was not exonerated. He was not vindicated. He's still under some form of house arrest. It's a probable miscarriage of justice. Yeah. So these exoneration cases take typically two or three years to run through the course. You know, there's been a handful. Well, Glenn is uh, number six in all of Canadian history. The prosecution agrees that there's a probable miscarriage of justice. And the obviously the d- defense thinks so. And the court uh, think so as well. And the Supreme Court many years ago said that in, in that sort of situation, you can't keep someone in prison just for the uh, judicial process to unfold to declare him exonerated. So they uh, created a special form of parole for people who are not eligible for parole. And he's the sixth person to go through that. And, you know, so that's where we're at now. So the wheel is still in spin here. He hasn't been exonerated, but there's still uh, in, in, in a process. But this probable miscarriage, to kind of take a real overview of, of the story, the murder victim, Brenda Way, uh, just reading your first report, I mean, Glenn is obviously, seems to me, a, a, the fine prime suspect, the boyfriend of this woman who was a, a sex worker who had a drug habit, and this boyfriend beat her viciously, and there's no question about that, carried knives on him, ultimately was convicted, represented himself in court. On what basis have they found there to be a probable miscarriage of justice? Well, I go through this in great detail in part three of the story. It appears that uh, he was framed by a handful of uh, associates, uh, people who knew him. In addition to that, uh, there's very good suggestions and um, that uh, uh, someone else is responsible for the murder. I haven't been able to nail down exactly who that somebody else was, but uh, in part three, I go through about a half dozen uh, very highly likely suspects, uh, including serial killer Michael McGray, who was living immediately behind the murder scene, including two other men who had a history of, of raping and assaulting sex workers who knew Brenda and were in the vicinity that night, and including a mystery person who... Um, I honestly think is the probable killer, but uh, we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks for me to get into detailing that. And this this aspect of it, this journalistic investigation, this whodunit that you're embarked upon, we have to maybe put that in a separate category than the fact that the courts have agreed that it looks like, I suppose that we can't say that they've agreed that he's been framed, but they've agreed that there has been a likely miscarriage of justice, and that's why he's a semi-free man today. Yes, and I, and I have to say that, uh, so my immediate interest was in this one case was what happened here? How, how did this guy spend 16 years in, in prison for a murder he probably didn't commit? After about a month or two of getting into the story, I discovered that uh, it's much broader than the one case. Uh, here in Halifax, we have a horrendously high, highest in the nation, rate of unsolved murders. Those unsolved murders, and there's well over 50 of them now, fall into two camps. For men, it's generally speaking, people involved in the drug trade. And for women, generally speaking, there are some exceptions, people who fall in the sex trade. 
those are very dangerous occupations to be involved in. And um, if you're murdered and you fall into those categories, you very likely don't have the uh, family members or, or friends or people with the education and resources needed to go to bat for you to keep your case alive before the police and justice systems. So what I found was that the same police investigators uh, who investigated the Glenn Assoon case investigated a bunch of others and either failed to get convictions for various reasons. And I think in one case, actually wrongfully convicted someone else. My series is an indictment on the police investigations and the justice system that uh, doesn't take these people, especially the women involved, doesn't take them seriously, doesn't really get into uh, finding the uh, people who have murdered them. And if there's an easy way to pawn it off on someone that no one cares about, they'll do it. There's so many stories here, and I think that there's just no way we can really do it justice, um, the work that you've done. There's a lot of interest in these kinds of stories right now, and anyone who's watched Making a Murderer knows that you can spend hours and hours just on a wrongful conviction case or a possible wrongful conviction case and just in the weeds of that one story. And here we go from this one story to 30 or 50 other stories. We also seem to have a story that is an indictment of the police force. There's also, I mean, similar to Making a Murderer, uh, reading your your reporting, you're getting a very disturbing look at a marginalized and highly traumatized uh, people who live in poverty and in violence and the drug trade and violence is just a part of their lives. People who've been forgotten. We can kind of you know pick your poison. There's just so much. There's so much that I didn't know about. There's so much that that is told, you know, in, in the different fragments of the story. I, sh- I should tell you that I started researching this story before anyone knew about making a murder, and I've purposely have avoided watching it because I don't want it to contaminate my thought process. But you're right. This is the underbelly of of society, uh, especially in Dartmouth. Um, you know, we're an old port city. Uh, this is an impoverished region to begin with, and then the very impoverished uh, segment of, of the society lead lives of desperation. So I, I go into great detail about um, the drug use and uh, violence and sort of hopelessness that characterizes the lives of, of dozens and hundreds of people, actually. And uh, it, it's a disturbing read, if I say so myself. And then you, you, you mentioned earlier that a serial killer lived nearby. Is it a convicted serial killer lived nearby? Yeah. Well, he wasn't convicted at the time. A fellow named Michael McRae, he grew up in Yarmouth, which is in the south side of uh, Nova Scotia. Very shortly as an adult, uh, he killed a Halifax woman who was hitchhiking in the Digby area. And then he moved to Halifax or the Halifax Dartmouth area for, you know, three years, I think. And then uh, he, he moved on to Moncton and he killed a mother and her daughter there. Uh, he went to uh, BC and killed a bunch of people there, killed some people in, in uh, uh, Seattle, uh, kind of a mixture of, of sex workers and gay men. He was convicted of, on six murders. And he has always maintained that he's murdered 10 other people. And he he hasn't said who those people are. But uh, we later learned, or the the Glenn's defense attorneys later learned that he was living, um, I mean, I I could stand on the spot where Brenda was murdered and uh, throw a baseball and hit the the house he was staying in. That's how close he was living to the murder scene. And his MO uh, was slicing women's necks, and that's how Brenda was killed. 
so yeah, I I um, contacted him uh, through the prison and asked if I could interview him, and and he declined to be interviewed. Do you feel when we when we talk about this total number of of I, I, you're looking at thirty out of a total of fifty? Do you feel that there's, you know, you mentioned that you feel there's another killer. There's so many different stories suggested, be it, be it a look at uh, a social justice and social equity, look at poverty and, and people who are marginalized. There's also, I guess, like a, a Hollywood thriller who done it. Uh, is there yet a serial killer on the loose in Halifax? Here's my thought on that. You know, when there's a bunch of murders, especially unsolved murders, people want to naturally jump to the, the thought, oh, there must be a serial killer. And, uh, you know, at first when I, when I came to that realization, I was like, why do people want to, you know, what's this lurid interest in a serial killer? And then I realized, uh, actually, um, they do that because the, the alternative is even worse, that there's a bunch of people out there killing people, right? But as I've gotten into this investigation, I realized that both are true. There have been in the Halifax area, not just one, but two serial killers. And there are additionally a bunch of men out there killing women. The, the, the alternative being worse is, is almost the banality versus the luridness of, of there being a serial killer, or even two serial killers. The idea that this is just everyday business, that sex workers in Halifax get killed on the regular um, and the police don't seem to care. Can we talk for a moment? I, I just want to stress to everybody listening, we just, we, we cannot do a, any kind of an adequate job of encapsulating your reporting in this conversation and in the folk within the framework of a media podcast. And I, and I do want to talk about the media issues that this brings up. These are, these are probably the, the, the least important issues. People really need to check out your reporting if they want the full story here and they need to check out the Halifax examiner. I won't even purport to be providing that right now, but I do want to just touch on, I think we need to mention, what do you feel you've learned about the the police in your investigation? To characterize it in, in the best way possible uh, would be uh, incompetency. There's a very famous local case, um, and it's famous because uh, a 19-year-old woman uh, who was... Uh, went missing is very famous locally because she breaks the mold. She's, she's not a sex worker. Uh, she was the perfect victim, the daughter of a cop, um, uh, from a rural area, came to the university here, was working at Canadian Tire, and uh, her name is Kimberly McAndrew. The police were so frustrated in their investigation that they hired a psychic to try to get some traction on the case. Really? Yeah, and I, I found the psychic. Uh, she's an old woman living in, in Florida, and I called her up, and we had a conversation, and, and she remembered Kimberly, and she remembered doing the uh, the the readings or, or what have you for uh, with the police. And she said, oh, yeah, I have the tapes. Do you want them? So she sent me the tapes of the hearings, and I've published those. And you can hear how the cops are being led down this road. I suspect they ended up spending about $100,000 chasing false leads. I mean, there's a larger issue here where society doesn't care so much about about these women. Is that just reflected in, in the police behavior? Did the police want to solve these crimes, but they just didn't have the ability to do so? Or, or was this about where their values and where their resources were being placed? I, I think kind of all of the above, Jesse. I think I, I can't stress just uh, uh, the incompetency. And in, in the case of Brenda Way, you know, I, I put up a video where I interviewed this guy who uh, was at the murder scene and saw someone fleeing the murder scene. And of course, I mean, he's, he was the guy delivering newspapers in the in the morning, and uh, he calls the 
cops and he says, hey, I, 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 um, here's what I saw and, you know, here's, here's what happened. And they um, took his information, said thank you. But what he saw did not fit the timeline of the murder that they had in mind. Glenn supposedly killed Brenda uh, an hour and a half earlier, and someone seeing people fleeing the scene an hour and a half later didn't fit that theory, so they just discarded it. And here you have Glenn Assoon, you have a violent boyfriend of the victim, and you want to clear murder cases. You know, it's just sort of boggling. We know about Robert Picton. We know... We now talk about missing and murdered. I, I had not, I had no awareness of dozens of murdered sex workers and other women in in Halifax. This is you're reporting us. Is, is this something that is common knowledge in Halifax? It's common knowledge that there's a lot of unsolved murders. And so what the police department does is they put them on their uh, web page, and the province has an unsolved crime web page as well, and they list all these things, but they don't tell you is who these people are. Uh, so what I did is I, I went to the courthouse and I pulled each and every person's court record and I, I quickly discovered that the vast majority of them had some sort of prostitution related uh, convictions in their in their files. The cops for whatever reason don't draw attention to oh these people were working the streets as sex workers and then they, they went uh, missing. You know, maybe it's uh, the idea that they're saving the reputation of the women. And certainly I'd, I wouldn't want to define anyone by solely being a sex worker, right? I mean, yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. If, if there's a murder, like, you know, you're almost giving the public a reason to not care if you if you advertise that aspect of it. it I, well, I, I guess you could see it that way. I see it as just the opposite as our society broadly is, uh, has discarded these women in in many ways, even through their deaths, um, where we don't really even care about them at that point. But how they got in the dire situations that they were in in the first place, uh, we don't even talk about that. I I detail how Brenda faced uh, violence from, from cops. There, she faced violence from uh, people in um, in her own circles, uh, former boyfriends, uh, former pimps, uh, uh, her current boyfriend, um, other random strangers on the streets. Uh, violence was a regular part of her life, as it is for these other women, and, and we don't even talk about it. Well, I mean, where does it end? To, to actually talk about it on an institutional level, you've got to talk about not just the violence, not just the drugs. You've got to talk about the economy, the economics, the social services, the, everything that's happened to the East Coast, the underclass. You know, it, it becomes a much larger question. Murder gets headlines, but this one didn't. It's interesting to me that you uh, are breaking this story independently on your crowdfunded, subscription-based, independent online news site, the Halifax Examiner, which, you know, you've been on the show before talking about. And meanwhile, the Chronicle Herald is on on lockout right now. The the newspaper in town is one thing that we've been hearing a lot lately as well with with the downfall of so many newspapers. Putting an investigative reporter on a story for a year, you know, is impossible for these new upstarts. But you actually did that. I'm curious how you did that while trying to, you know, People are subscribing. They want content on on the. Uh, Be honest with you, I, I my thought going into when I created the Halifax Examiner, uh, it was a one person operation. It's grown a bit, and now I have more freelancers and, and other staff. Uh, but when I started, I, my idea was I, I do a free morning post every morning, and and then it, I would have one other thing every day behind the, the paywall that I did, uh, and I kind of did that for about six months. But then this case started. Um, taking more and more of my time. And uh, I was worried that things were falling off the 
the plate. Uh, fortunately, I've, I've you know I'm, I'm in a better financial situation now, and I'm hiring other people. But uh, yeah, I, this has taken uh, thousands of hours of my time and uh, th- many thousands of dollars uh, in research fees and so forth. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a huge operation. I, I wish I had a, a, a big daily newspaper or the CBC behind me to do this. They knew about this story. Uh, the Chronicle Herald and the CBC both covered the original trial, and 16 years later covered the uh, release of Glenna Soon. And in fact, that's how I found out about it: is uh, CBC coverage. Um, so I I went to the hearing, um, and and both organizations paid for a lawyer to try to uh, get some uh, court documents uh, made public, and they were unsuccessful in that. So good on them for, for trying to do that. But they didn't put a reporter on the case to read the file. And so I went to the courthouse. The court transcript alone for the original trial is almost exactly 5,000 pages. There's uh, another, I don't know, 20,000 pages of, of court documents uh, related to the case. And then, of course, when you get into all these other cases, there's hundreds of thousands of more pages. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the past years, reading all this stuff. How have you been building your business as uh, like a, a news entrepreneur trying to build a subscription base while conducting that investigation? You sort of touched on that you've got other people helping you out now, but has your business been growing as you've been kind of down this rabbit hole of of the Glenasoon case? Uh, well, I tell you, uh, subscriptions fell flat towards the end of 2015. They didn't decrease. They kept at, their, at a constant level. But in uh, when I started publishing this, uh, the Chronicle Herald went on strike. The workers went on strike on... Uh, uh, I forget the date, February... Or no, January um, 23rd. I rushed... This in the publication on the same day because I I just wanted that contrast to be out there in the world. Uh-huh. The use of scab reporters at the Chronicle Herald, they're they're uh, professional reporters on strike, and here I am um, putting the results of a very long in depth investigative series uh, online. Subscriptions have been coming in at a great clip ever since. Um, the future looks good. I, I've been able to hire an administrative person, and now I have. Uh, about fr- five freelancers working for me. I'm, I'm, I've hired one of the uh, uh, striking reporters as a, as a freelancer um, for the duration of the strike. So um, it's quite something when when you see a direct relationship between breaking news and people subscribing, uh, making money, people paying for news, your business becoming sustainable by virtue of you doing the work that you're doing well. It's it's sort of heartening in an otherwise pretty dismal atmosphere out there. Yeah, I think this is the future, Jesse. I, I, the The daily newspaper model is broken and it can't be fixed. I don't think um, we'll see, you know, a Chronicle Herald or in most cities won't have a, a daily newspaper in a very short uh, time, a, a year or two, I think. I, I think we're watching the end of the Chronicle Herald right now uh, through this strike. You know, the CBC has faced its challenges, uh, I, w- I would argue, uh, uh, trying to position itself the wrong way, um, and of course, its own budget cuts. It, it, you know, they should have an investigative team uh, that can that can dive into these stories. But uh, what they call their investigative team basically just files a bunch of FOIA pops and or freedom of information requests, and when they get the results, they do a one-off article, and you know, I guess there's a place for that, but they're not doing anything r- truly in depth. You're behind a paywall. Has there been a strong public outcry? Has this story 
gotten good pickup? Has there been outrage? What's happened since you've begun releasing these stories? Well, it, it's spreading um, quickly. People like you are contacting me about it, and it's getting some national attention. Um, people locally are talking about it. I don't know how to answer those broader questions uh, about, you know, what's the future of journalism, blah, blah, blah. Um, I kind of just do my own thing, and here it is, and whatever happens, happens. Uh I guess I'm not smart enough to to, to answer those uh, philosophical and business questions, you know. I and why is it put on me? You know, uh, <laughs> I I'm doing my thing and it works for me. And, and if other people can make their thing work, uh, good good on them. I don't have the answers, you know. Um, but I do think that uh, just looking at the number of subscriptions going up and and looking how the story's being discussed on social media, you know, I think there is attraction, and I think that the, the the police department and the justice department are very concerned about this story and are reacting to it. And again, how many of these murders remain unsolved? Well, it's hard to say, right? Because it, you can you can pull a number off the uh, police department's website, and uh, yet Brenda Way's murder isn't on it, right? Because uh, that was considered a solved murder. And is it still officially considered a solved murder? Yes, until he gets exonerated. In fact, I had an argument with the cops about that. I, I um have tried to get the evidence in, in the uh, Glenn Assoon Brenda Way case, um, the court evidence. The court said, well, we had to give it back to the police department because we didn't have storage on it. So I went to the police department and said, yeah, I want this evidence because uh, I, I wanted some photos and videos to put on the site. And they said, uh, no, we're not going to give it to you. And, and I said, well, we don't convict people on secret evidence in Canada, right? You know, um, and as mm-hmm. of right now, Glenn Assoon is guilty. So we had a, a little legal battle about that. And my, my lawyer told me, yeah, we could win, but I'd end up spending about $50,000 chasing this. And of course I don't have $50,000, you know, but anyway, uh, just last, just, uh, last month, a cop was charged here in Halifax for, uh, stealing evidence out of the evidence room. So this worries me greatly that this, this evidence, this murder evidence is sitting in a police department that's not not secure. When was the last murder that fits this profile? Oh, uh, there's, they're continuing. It's not a murder so much uh, where I end the story, but an overdose death of someone who we've already kind of met in the story. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to ruin that, but it's related to sex work and the violence in the community. Also, I have, there's one woman, one girl, 16 year old girl who was killed, who I think they convicted the wrong person. There's another case of a woman was uh, run over by a truck, the tractor part of a tractor trailer. And the police call it an accident, even though no one knows who was driving the truck and, and that's never been identified. I'm fairly certain she was murdered. You know, they miscategorize these things, right? They say, well, these are the unsolved murders, but there's, a, there's other people dead out there that they're not calling murders. There's so-called solved murders where they got the wrong people. Um, so I can't really give you a number. Uh, I can tell you this. I'm up to 32 dead women right now. You know, it's so difficult to put a headline on this, you know, what is this a story about? What exactly have you unearthed? It seems like you could spend your career. There's so many stories and, you know, what is the revelation? It's almost, it'd almost be just convenient if we could say, oh yeah, serial killer on the loose. Right. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. Uh, one, I think we really have to, in a serious way, uh, think about issues around poverty, uh, violence and drug use among the poor. 
and start addressing those sort of issues in uh, not Band-Aid fashions, but in in sense of restructuring our society to address those issues. I know that's a a dream or whatever, but we got to start talking about that. Um, uh, More particularly, we have to talk about the failures of the police department. And then secondly, the failures of the justice system, uh, because... um, there are multiple failures. It, there's no question in my mind that the judge and prosecutors uh, in the Glen Assume case and in a couple of other cases knew damn well that they were committing injustice, and they did it anyway. And so we need to address that. Here in Nova Scotia, we very famously back in the 90s, there was the Donald Marshall inquiry, which was about how the justice system was fundamentally racist. Some good stuff came out of that. But what hasn't been done is the same sort of analysis of how the Justice Department deals with the impoverished and the class issues embedded in the justice system. And I think we need that inquiry, to be honest. And then I think, lastly, I think we, we, all of us in the public, have got to start giving a damn about people. It's not enough to just say, oh, she's a hooker or a crack addict or whatever, and, and you know, that's the way it goes. We, we, we've got to seriously care about people. That's your Canada Land episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. The website is canadalandshow.com and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.